So it's funny the steps that we take to solve the problems we face, and oftentimes the right answer is just not at all intuitive. Have you talked to Jack Dennison yet? Have you have you talked to Jack Dennison yet? Welcome to the Claims Clinic. Why don't you have a seat and show me where it hurts? Are you feeling depreciated? Has your ACV policy left you with a self-insured penalty? Having trouble with your GPP? Don't worry, you'll be just fine. The doctor will see you now. Thank you, Nurse Natalie. Howdy y'all, this is Andy McCabe. I'm a claim doctor. I had the pleasure of speaking with Jack Dennison, the restoration entrepreneur this week, and he was just amazingly full of information about restoration and, and how to grow your restoration business. But before we get into that, I'd like to talk about ClaimCamp.com. I've moved the 24-hour tech training system over to a new URL. And if you go to ClaimCamp.com and check on the sneak peek option, you can get a free preview of the first module of the 24-hour te- tech training system. I highly recommend you check that out. Also, if you go to WaterDamageProfit.com, download uh, the 24-hour tech manual or the training system, you get a free Xactimate estimate from claims delegates. That's right, me. I'll write your estimate for free if you download the book uh, and show you what we can do for you. That's it for now. Uh, Enjoy this one. It's a little long. That's the longest one we've done so far, but uh, I believe you get a lot out of it. Uh, Get a pen and paper handy because you want to take notes. All right. Welcome to the Claim Clinic. This is Andy McCabe. I am your claim doctor. I have the pleasure this morning to have Mr. Jack Dennison on the phone with me. Jack, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Andy. Great to be here with you this morning. Jack, uh, if you guys don't know, is just uh, an incredible wealth of information and knowledge. Uh, He's been in the restoration industry for longer than probably he'll admit, uh, but we'll see if we can get him to admit that a little bit later. And uh, I've been following him for a while. He's got his own podcast, uh, and I just was just very happy to have Jack uh, come on the show. So, Jack, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, what you got going on, and how you got started in restoration? Terrific, Andy. Thank you. Well, I'm a restoration company owner. Started off as a franchise. I ended up leaving the franchise when I became full service. Um, when I became full service, our company just absolutely exploded. You know, we figured out how to grow a business, uh, how to perform the, you know, various areas of our responsibility, mitigation, technician, fire, large loss, you know, all of those things. And uh, our company just really grew. And so we eventually sold it after about a decade of work. I was 62 at the time. So I was at that point where I was looking towards retirement, got the business to a point where I felt we could sell it and have the financial reserves we would need to do what we wanted to do in retirement. And so we did sell it. We sold it at the top of the game. Uh, We sold it for top dollar. And once I got out, um, I was contacted by a number of our friends that we'd met over the years. And they said, you know, you were so successful. You, you did, you know, so well in so many areas, you know, tell us what you did. Mm. And that question uh, opened the door to uh, start the restoration entrepreneur uh, we formalized that and, you know, put processes and systems and teaching and materials into place. And now I coach restoration owners on how to grow their business, uh, much along the lines that we grew ours. Okay. Now, where, what part of the country were you, were you operating in? Uh, our primary population base was Colorado Springs. Okay. So we went all the way south to the New Mexico border and uh, north to the southern Denver metro. So it was quite about a 200 uh, mile uh, swath of uh, coverage and had multiple offices and, you know, had a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, so the Restoration on- Entrepreneur, uh, you've got online resources, but your main focus is one-on-one coaching. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, I coach. Uh, I believe that that's the best way to bring about change, uh, the accountability, the encouragement, the specificity, You know, I'm not going to give, you know, some general guidelines to follow and then hope that you can figure out how to implement it. I walk with people and uh, answer questions and I am specific and I'm practical to a T. 
And my client contractors find that to be really helpful. What exactly do you do in order to grow your business? Yeah, don't no fuzzy language here. Tell me what to do. What is the next step, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, so let's talk about the next step. You've got a book out, uh, an ebook that just came out last week. Uh, what's that called again? It's called How to Grow Your Restoration Business, and it's actually the second edition to that book. Ah, second edition. Okay. Well, I have printed my copy. I haven't read it yet, I'm ashamed to say, but uh, things get busy. So what's, uh, let's give us a Notes version of, of how to grow your restoration business and, and why people should go look for this thing and download it. Well, when I first wrote the book, you know, trying to create some space in the marketplace, um, demonstrating, you know, what we did as an owner. And that's what the book uh, was based upon. So this is what we did. This is what we learned. This is what we think about the things that we did. And so it was just a compilation of our learning experience and trying to provide something that had some substance to it that could be of help to others. Well, then after coaching uh, contractors for a year, my learning expanded. I became more sharp, more clear, um, began to see experience through the eyes of others and in terms of what exactly do they need and what resonated most, what was most helpful. So I revised the book just a couple of months ago, and now the second edition is available. And so it's all about uh, two things. When I talk to restoration owners about how to grow your restoration business, they are always interested, as I was, in two things. One is, how do you accelerate your top-line revenue growth? And how do you improve and protect your bottom-line profit? And that is what the restoration entrepreneur is about, those two fundamental issues, and that's what we exclusively focus our help on. Now, is this, how much of this is applicable beyond the restoration world? Well, when you're talking about profit, you're normally dealing with operational issues and operational efficiencies. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to know your tools, you've got to manage well, you've got to know your numbers. Uh, when it comes to revenue, it really has to do with, you know, where are your best sources of revenue? What I find with contractors, and I'm sure across the board, is that they try to connect one-on-one with the customer. They're trying to find ways through their website, pay-per-click, Google ads, and so on, of trying to get directly to the customer And I found that that is not the best way to grow your business. Uh, Instead, uh, you know, these other ways are expensive. Uh, Everybody's doing them because everybody can get to them. And so a lot of competition. And so the results are, you know, pretty meager. And I don't find many contractors who are happy with what they're getting for what they're paying. What you need to do is to connect with the referral sources. Who are the people who are coming in contact with the masses Uh, of the product that you're trying to sell. And so in the restoration industry, when somebody is ankle deep in water, you know, in their home, you know, they're not going to jump on their computer. Um, Contrary to what many people say, they're not going to pull out their smartphone and do a search and look at the 25 restoration companies in their area, none of whom they know anything about. They're going to call people. And the three people they're going to call is either they're going to call a plumber and say, come turn my water off. They're going to call their insurance agent and say, please help me. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to call the 800 number, and that's going to be immediately dispatched to a third-party administrator for assignment to one of their local contractors. So those are the people who have the buckets full of business, and it's the referral sources that any contractor of any kind wants to connect with because that's where most people are going. That's where the greatest volume of work is at. And if you can open that gate, it can become a floodgate. Yeah, that resonates a lot with the conversation I had with Rich Braun at 1-800-RESTORE, uh, talking about beating the streets and finding those referral sources. Uh, I was surprised to hear that both of you um, advocate that over SEO and blogging and, and Google AdWords and things like that. So that was, it was eye-opening for me because I'm a... I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, I'm right down, you know, right in the middle of Gen X. Uh, I grew up with technology. I'm, I'm comfortable getting out there and, and playing with SEO and keywords and meta tags and all this stuff. And what I'm hearing is forget it. You know, you, yeah, do that. But 
really you need to get to the source and and that's people, right? I think that's absolutely true. I, I think it's a matter of are you going to be happy with two to three percent per year growth? Or in my company, we averaged over a decade of time an average annual growth rate of nearly fifty percent. So we were doubling our business every one point four years. And you don't do that with you know through AdWords and website SEO. You know, most uh, and perhaps every large restoration contractor has built their business, the breadth and the speed of their business growth on the backs of program work, the backs of TPAs and these kind of groups who have a lot of work. And if you can establish a relationship with them, you're going to be on the rotation to receive a good portion of that. Mm-hmm. In our case, we were on nearly 30 preferred contractor programs. But that's not all that we did. I mean, 30. I've seen we're on 30 preferred contractor programs. How do you manage something like that? I mean, it sounds unwieldy. Well, you know, that's one of the challenges of ownership is you start off doing 200,000 and then you're doing 500 and then you're doing million, then you're doing 3 million. It's like with any um, growth industry, you know, the owners have to be able to adapt and change and Oftentimes, you'll meet contractors who have reached their level of capability, Hmm. and if they don't let go, if they don't release and empower others, if they can't make the personal changes, then they become the bottleneck um, for the million-dollar, you know, cap out, because that's where most contractors reach their limit, owner-operators of capability, and most don't grow beyond that because they don't make the personal changes Mm. that empower the internal changes needed to continue to grow. Because you simply can't manage much more than that. Not one person. Not one person. Yeah. I'm tapped out. You know, a a project manager estimator is tapped out about one, one and a half million. And that's with support staff. That's right. Um, So let's, let's talk nuts and bolts on that for a minute. Uh, I worked for a company who, had four or five, you know, given the volume uh, in a given year, different teams of three people. And it was a project manager, estimator, a, essentially a sales guy, um, and a coordinator, which is a, a admin assistant more than anything else behind a desk, and then a, a superintendent. So those three people would manage certain aspects of of the business as it came in and the way they had it set up was one team had state farm PSP, another team had farmers, another team had all state and maybe one other TPA. Um, is that similar to what you guys had set up? That's, uh, that's not the way that we organized ourselves. I think the two fundamental ways that contractors organize for construction where you have higher volume, uh, higher um, revenue, is in a much more complex environment, of course, with uh, construction than with mitigation, Sure, is around a team of specialists or a team of generalists. Hmm. A generalist would be your typical write and run. So the estimator is going to sell the job, he's going to write the job, and he's going to run the job as a project manager. And so you say, well, how many jobs can a write and run uh, person uh, oversee at any one time? Well, you know, not a whole lot, eight, 10, yeah. you know, not, not a lot. Or you have a team of specialists where you have an estimator and his primary job is to do the takeoff and write the estimates. Well, he can punch out 10 estimates in a day. I mean, he can do 10 roofs in a day. You have a project manager who can oversee 15 to 20 jobs uh, showing up every other day. And that was our requirement. Every other day, you've got to be on site. It may only take 15 minutes to look at cleanliness, talk to the customer, you know, supervise the work of the contractor, make sure that, you know, the, you can't see the, you know, the drywall patch, the textures match, clean cut-ins, that sort of thing. So it doesn't take <laughs> long and you can oversee, you know, 15 to 20 jobs. And so the larger you get, the more volume you need out of each production person and the right and run, there's just so much to do in that combination of activities. You just can't handle those many jobs to keep track with, you know, doing 50 jobs at once, doing 20 jobs, 30 jobs at once. That's a recipe so, for failure. You're a, you're a jack of all trades and master of none, truly. I was, I don't know how many times I found myself 
as the sole estimator, sole project manager. Oh, and by the way, here's another couple hats. You're the marketing guy. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And so the specialist way is really, you know, geared for growth. And that's the, uh, the direction that we went. And so you just, how many estimators do you need? We ended up with three. And, uh, you know, they were just uh, always pumping. Right. Now, that's uh, back to the revenue question. Where do you see revenue being generated? And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm headed. I, I believe revenue is generated in two places. On the mitigation side, it's generated with the water dam- damage technician actually doing the work. But then on the, the recon side, I believe revenue is generated with the Xactimate estimate. Now, where do you see? Well, those are elements of, of, both, uh, of both sides. What I like to talk about, and, and then, I, you know, let me say something specifically about the points that you've raised, is what is, the, what is the best way, the most rapid way for a mitigation-only company to grow, and what is the most rapid way for a, a full-service construction company to grow? Two different so, things, for sure. So yeah. for a mitigation-only company, they're by far their best opportunity to accelerate their top-line revenue growth is to become full-service. You know, I just talk about that all the time. And so here's, here's what the numbers look like in a situation like that. So let's just say that you're the, you know, a typical mitigation company who's tapped out at the maximum that you can manage. And that's about a million dollars. Well, the average size of mitigation is about $2,500. So you're somewhere around 400 jobs. Now, that's a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. The reason they don't get the $2 million is how in the world do you create a flow of 800 jobs a year and do it year after year? It's just, it just doesn't happen. So 400 jobs, which is a lot, uh, at $2,500 uh, each, roughly, average. So you've done a million dollars of revenue. If you add full service at about an average of $10,000 for the typical rebuild, now you're looking at $4 million of revenue and at 50% profit, which contractors can and should earn on a per job basis, you're looking at $2 million of of profit alone. So let's cut that in half. People are saying, nah, that's just not gonna happen. We're not gonna do that. Well, so let's say you're doing a million dollars of mitigation and you cut that by 50% and you do 200 construction jobs. That's $2 million of revenue, $1 million of profit, and your profit out of adding full service is more than what you're currently doing in your uh, mitigation side. Hmm. So, you know, the reason that many mitigation-only contractors don't add full service, don't add construction, is because everybody's telling them they can't. It's too hard, too many problems, the margins are too skinny, you know, you're going to fail, and the, the truth is that becoming full service, you know, again, if you know how to implement it, you know what it takes, you don't have to become a, a master builder. It's just not that hard. Huh. So if you want to grow a mitigation company, become full service, and it takes some time to ramp up. You know, you're not going to, you know, one year do nothing, the next year you're going to do two million. But over a period, you can double and triple your current business by adding construction services. On the construction side, for the construction company, the full service, rather than focusing on revenue, we've got to get more jobs. You know, we've got to get more top line money. Their best opportunity is improving their profit margins per job Mm. and therefore increasing their net profit. That's where their big opportunity is at. Because most construction companies are doing you know, 25 to 30% profit uh, out of their construction services. So they're doing $2 million. That's fair. They're making, um, you know, their net profit is probably 10% on that. So $200,000. Well, what if you could double that? What if you could get from 25% per job to 50%? What if you could get from 10% net profit to 20% net profit? You know, there's nothing that you can do that will bring about greater returns more quickly than focusing on improving and protecting profit, which is an operational issue. And when you learn how to do that, well, now you're really starting to keep the money that you've earned. And that adds to cash flow, cash reserves, personal wealth. Uh, Nothing will change your company more than improving your profit margins. 
And that leads you into the next book you got coming out, Stop Your Profit Killers, right? It really does. No, thank you for, for saying that. So what we're about is accelerating top line revenue. That's how to grow your restoration business. And we're also about how to improve and protect your profit margins. And that's what the second ebook is about. Stop your profit killers dead on their tracks. Nice. And so with those two ebook books, we will have provided a free, you know, pretty comprehensive service for both of the issues that are fundamental to us. I can't wait for those to cut that one uh, cut to come out. Uh, so let's recap. You're, uh, so I can understand. So I can. Uh, so everyone else can understand. The if you have a fifty percent profit margin on your reconstruction, that completely changes the metrics of of what I am used to operating under. You know, I am in the thirty to thirty five percent. If you're doing, you're really hustling. 35% GP on the recon side. If you're adding 15% gross profit to your recon jobs, that just changes it to almost turns the game on its head. Well, if you're doing a million dollars of construction revenue and you increase by 15%, that's an additional $150,000 that goes straight to the bottom line. All your fixed costs are already in place. So, you know, it doesn't cost you more to do a better job. Uh, and it goes straight to the bottom line. Well, what would $150,000 on a million dollars of revenue do for most contractors? I mean, it's a game changer. Yeah. As I like that. Your fixed, your fixed costs are already, you're already covered. Uh, and that's what I try to do on the mitigation side with the 24-hour tech system is, is increase the revenues because your costs are already there. You're already on the job site. You're already incurring labor and equipment and, and whatever else. Let's just do a better job of picking up the dollars that are sitting there um, by yeah. systemizing that um, and increasing the revenue there. So, so increase so, so revenue contractors, on mitigation side. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. Well, just that some contractors look at 50% profit and they say, well, you know, who are you cheating? No, right. this is doing all the right stuff in all the right way. This is, um, you know, we did it through program work in which you've got the TPA and the insurance carrier and the customer looking over your shoulder to Just ensure you're drilling, doing the right thing. drilling on no you. No one's getting cheated. Everyone's yeah. getting paid. Your subs are getting paid better than they're getting paid now. You just have to know, you know, how to control material cost, how to control labor cost, how to use Actimate as a key management tool, how to access, uh, you know, wholesale. Um, uh, distributors for your materials, like your flooring. Mm. Uh, you know, flooring is the single largest line item on any repair bill. So what happens in most situations is the uh, contractor will send the customer down to Home Depot or Carpet One or some other outlet. And so, of course, the customer says, well, how much do I have to spend? Well, you've got $20 a square yard. So what do they do? They spend $20.50 per square yard <laughs> and you make nothing off of your materials. <laughs> or you can access wholesale distributors that will provide materials to you for 35 to 50% below that and look at what you've just locked in in terms of increasing your profit per job off of that one item alone. Oh, yeah. That's what and we've there done. there are other with... building materials that you can do the same thing with. So there's, there are incremental uh, factors like wholesale, you know, distributors, and you put about three or four or five of these together, and you've suddenly gone from 25% to 50%. And once you figure out how to do that, you can do it every time. Yeah, that's what we did. Uh, did they have contractors furnishings, Mark, over there in uh, Colorado? I don't recognize that name. Uh, uh, CFM. Uh, we have those on the West and It may be a West Coast thing, but that's what we would do. Uh, we would they're a wholesaler, uh, but they would have their showroom had retail pricing. Uh-huh. So you would send your customers in there to pick out the materials, and they would have their budget according to retail price. Uh, but then you could source it from CFM for less than that for wholesale, and, and you were able to get your margins that way. What happens, though, with the TPAs that, that, uh, and the programs that take the flooring out? They, they do the flooring themselves. How do you get around that? Well, and there are some, and every time that happened, I mean, flooring was our biggest moneymaker. So every time that we were on a program, and there are a few carriers who have their own, uh, we were disappointed because the best moneymaker was removed. Uh, fortunately, most don't do that. 
Um, but those that do, it's just one of those things you have to uh, realize that you're not going to make any money off the flooring. Somebody else is going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the unfortunate reality of of the programs is what they are. And that's that's my perspective has always been the TPAs just take some mar- take so much margin out of the reconstruction. It's getting harder and harder to to make money. But that's not what I'm hearing from you. No, my perspective has always been, and I hear, you know, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and the groups and meeting contractors and hearing their concerns. And, you know, TPAs are always getting shot at. Um, and oftentimes it's by those who are not active with them, uh, honestly. So they don't Guilty. really know what's going on. Guilty. That's but me. the other thing that happens with TPAs is that, you know, outside of a TPA program, you have adjusters and everyone's trying to save money. Uh, and a lot of them are quite eccentric. <laughs> uh, and they have some of the most peculiar personal uh, limitations, requirements, and they do just beat you up. And they can do that uh, pretty much at will. Yes. In a program, you have program requirements in which stated very clearly uh, for this um, issue, you know, you do this, you don't do that. You charge for this, you don't charge for that. You know, you use this item and not that line item. And so all of that is clearly, uh, you know, declared. It's an agreed upon approach to estimating by both the carrier and their adjuster and the contractor. And if a contractor tries to step outside, I'm sorry, if an adjuster tries to step outside of that, you have recourse. Uh. So I think you're actually more protected in a program because all of those peculiarities and preferences are declared up front and you have something to fall back on than outside of the program. And then when you compare that with the volume of work that they can bring you, it's just a no-brainer. I mean, every large contractor has built their business on the back of program work, and their key challenge is to diversify so that they're not overly dependent on a single source. Mm-hmm. So there are eight national third-party administrators. We were active on five of them. Um, if one of them went away, well, we've still got the other four, and we have other uh, work that we did, government work, local fire services, you know, other resources from local professionals. So you don't want a single light contractor connection. Everybody knows them. Everybody pursues them. You don't want 90% of your work coming from contractor connection. No. If 90% of your work is coming from five or six TPAs, that's not a problem. Uh-huh. If one of them goes away, you've got the other five as well as other sources of revenue as well. That's inter- uh, I want to go back to the personality issue that you brought up. That's very interesting. I had something happen this week that did you just connected the dots for me on uh, Lions Bridge is uh, AAA's TPA. Yes. I've got a couple clients on Lions Bridge, and they send me their, their work, and I estimate it for them. Um, so I'm constantly in exact analysis uh having note uh, note taking wars <laughs> back and forth for lack of a better term and an issue came up where uh the, a particular adjust, desk adjuster uh, asked me to remove flooring carpet out of closets in a hallway and my experience says closet is a subroom of the main room you know if it's if it's a bedroom and the closet has carpet well that should be there's not a matching issue. There's not a doorway issue, right? There's a, you just do both, right? That's right. You're absolutely right. So she asked me to take, take the carpet out of the hallway closet. And so I went back to the program rules, which were kind of fuzzy in that area. Uh, but then I went back to the previous five or six estimates that I'd written and just lined them out. And I said, this estimate, this claim, this claim, this claim, this claim had a bedroom with a closet in it, and we okayed, we as a team, me and Lionsbridge, uh, okayed the carpet. Um, what would you, how would you like me to address this? And so going back to the program and the rules are already in place, she was able to come around and say, oh, okay, it's paid for, and no, no question. Uh, but it was her individual training or lack thereof, because uh, she was probably fairly new, that she didn't understand the program. And so what I heard you just say is that's a good thing. You, you have a program to have the rules in place 
So everyone's on the same page. You don't have to bicker about that stuff. Yeah, I love everything you just said. Agree with everything you just said. I think that was spot on. And as you indicated, we don't know when we're dealing with a desk adjuster or any adjuster, whether, you know, what kind of experience they have. I mean, they're not general contractors. Some of them are brand new. They've just gone through their own training. So they're trying to figure out what they're, you know, how to approach things. And so you're right. A closet should be a subroom of the larger room. Uh, flooring is taken care of when you, you know, drop and fill for that room. And uh, so she's confused. You know, she's got the power. She says, we're not going to pay for this. <laughs> and if there was nothing to fall back on, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. it's your will against the adjusters. And, you know, oftentimes the adjusters are just going to dig in and say, you know, this is how it is. But where there are program requirements, there's a history, there's, you know, commitments that have been made previously. And this is how eight others have done it. You know, you're the odd man out. It's like, oh, gee, well, maybe I did make a mistake. And there is something to appeal to other than to a supervisor. Right, right. Because who wants to go to a supervisor over $120 worth of flooring? Yeah, it hurts relationship. It really, it really do does. That. Wow. Uh, good stuff, Jack. I, uh, once again, I just want to thank you for, for taking the time to share uh, with me and my audience. And, and uh, I'm excited to see where, where things go. Speaking of where things go. Where do you see this industry in in 10 years from now? What, what are the major changes we're going to see um, as restoration contractors um, that will affect how we do business? Well, I have a webinar in which I talk about uh, what I believe are the three major trends that have occurred over the last decade, and they're only picking up steam, you know, moving into the next decade. One is that we're moving towards full service. One call to one contractor who can do it all. Customers demand it. Uh, most insurance carriers and TPAs prefer it. So we're definitely moving in that direction. Um, secondly is the movement to third-party administrators. Almost every carrier and all the big ones now. You know, most recently, Farmers has done the same thing. So instead of doing their own program, American Family, you know, they've closed their national programs, and now they're administrating their claims volume, both mitigation and construction, through TPAs. Mm. Now, Farmers is going through, looks like, three TPAs of the eight, so they're dividing their work up. Really? Uh, what, are those, what are those TPAs? Um, it is uh, Nexus. Um, uh, let's see. It's, it's, <laughs> ah, it's, gotcha. It's Nexus, uh, Lionsbridge, and uh, first repair choice. Those are the three that they're currently working with. So, you know, so there is a movement towards third-party administrators, and it's a way of saving money uh, for the insurance carrier, but it also ups the, uh, the ante in terms of quality. See, in the past, these national accounts that several of the large franchises uh, continue to manage, well, those are declining. That's part of the trends. Those are declining in numbers, because 10 years ago, when they were really going full steam, the focus for a carrier was on coverage. Who is out there that if I get a job in Boston or I get a job in Los Angeles, there's going to be somebody on the ground that I can send this to? Right. Well, there were primarily two of the franchises that uh, were, you know, broadly uh, represented across the country to, you know, to be present in most major markets. Yep. So the yellow. issue was coverage. And so that's where the national accounts came from. The problem is that there are some really good franchises and some really poor franchises. And today the issue for carriers is not coverage, but customer service and satisfaction and customer retention. Mm. And the time at which a customer is most vulnerable to retention is during a claim. Yep. They don't like the insurance company, the policy limits, the adjuster, they get sideways with the contractor. So they pay out all this money and then they jump ship and go to another carrier. Yep. So the focus is upon retention and in order to retain, they have got to have a superior customer experience. Interesting. So the, the program for, um, for coverage, in which there's good and bad, doesn't provide for that. The TPAs, who manage at high, uh, a high bar of excellence, high benchmarks and accountability, they keep the best, work with the best, you know, require you to be the best, to help ensure that the customer gets the kind of um, 
a superior experience that they expect. So there is a movement away from national accounts and to TPAs, mm. um, and that's going to continue for you know the reasons and others that I've just given. And then the third major trend is a movement away from direct contact with the customer uh, to these referral sources where that's where the growth is going to come from. That's where the power is at because they're the ones who have the assignments to make. And so even with the government agencies, you know, I introduced my client contractors to three government agencies that are at work in every community. They provide grants to local homeowners that range in size from seven to $70,000. Well, contractors want to know those guys. They want to get on that preferred contractor list. They want to start getting some of those assignments through the government doing these kinds of uh, remodels and rebuilds for seven or $70,000. And the way you do that is not trying to find the customer because you'll never find them. Uh. You've got to get involved with the agency who has these buckets of business that they're going to send downstream to a reliable, dependable contractor and uh, at least to be on the list so that you're competing with a small group rather than with a large group for who's going to do the rebuild for that particular person. All right, let, let me have you reframe that because uh, I'm not quite clear on what that means. Moving away from direct contact with the client. Website SEO, Google ads, yellow pages, you know, all of those are attempts to help the customer find you. Those are direct, direct to yep. customer. Okay. So there's yep. going to be a more of a move away from that. Yes. Okay. To the referral services that are going to provide you those uh, direct contacts, like to, the TPAs, the government to the TPAs, okay. and others. So SEO, direct marketing type stuff. Okay. Uh, speaking of referral sources, uh, there's non-TPA referral sources. HomeAdvisor is, is one of the big ones, uh, Guys are paying home advisor ridiculous sums of money for maybe referrals um, that they're sending to multiple contractors at the same time. What is uh, talk to me about that side of the market and and marketing and, and referrals? Contractors that I talk with that we read about in group discussions on LinkedIn and other sources on the internet all seem to express a dissatisfaction with that. As you said, the cost is high. The return is low. Um, you get out there, you still have to compete for the job and sell it. There may be two or three others that are there or somebody who's been there before you and someone coming after you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of work, a lot of activity, uh, and a very low return. Very low return. So, so yeah. very few are satisfied with that. I even think about it from a marketing standpoint. So with TPAs, you know, another Uh, affirmation for them is that with your marketing dollars, do you want to put that money into, uh, into these sources and, you know, home advisor and so on, pay money for work you hope to get, or would you rather pay a four or 5% fee to a TPA for work that you've done? And uh, where are you going to put your marketing dollars? Well, our company put our marketing dollars into TPA relationships. We grew fast, grew well, Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, most of our marketing dollars were invested there. Now, 4 or 5% seems low to me. Uh, I know for a fact DKI is 7 and 8%. Uh, uh, Code Blue is even higher than that when you factor in the, the quote, discounts that you have to give. Um, what is, what is the, the average take or the average cut a guy can expect to, to hand over to to use a TPA or be, be on a TPA program? Well, Nexus is 5%. The last I heard, the last I knew, contract uh, connection was four. It's possible they've gone to five, but it's not above that. And so that's, uh, I think that would be the industry average about four to 5%. Okay. And I'm not sure what the numbers are on Lions Bridge, but someone can, can uh, go on the comments and let me know. How about that? Great. All right. Jack, uh, this has just been mind-blowing with uh, how much information. I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone feeling like I'm drinking from the fire hose, as it were. Um, but let's, let's circle back, and I want to talk about um, your business, the Restoration Entrepreneur, and what it looks like uh, when someone comes to you and, and says, Hey, Jack, I think I'm ready to grow my business, uh, and I think I want your help. What is that? What does that look like and how do you bring people into the fold? 
Well, I coach through a series of coaching plans. Uh, Currently, there are eight different plans that are focused upon, you know, the specific issues that a client contractor could be interested in. So, for example, one is the revenue generator. So, it is a plan. It's specific. It's practical. How exactly do they go about increasing their top-line revenue? So, it's about introducing them to TPAs, government agencies, local fire services, local professionals, you know, what do you do exactly in order to increase your top line revenue? There's another called the Profit Maker, and it's designed for uh, full service companies who currently have a construction services division. But, you know, like one contractor I was speaking with already this morning, uh, his net profit for construction is 21%. Well, that's a percent above O&P. That means he's spending all of the money on material and labor that he's getting paid. So let's focus specifically upon the operational efficiencies of construction services and how do we improve that to get to a 50% uh, profit margin uh, every job, every time. How do we do that? And so it focuses specifically on that. I have a coaching plan called the Startup Igniter. So I get called by, uh, you know, contractors. I go franchise, should I go independent? And what would the services look like to help them get traction in that first year and implement, organize a well-running, effective, growing business uh, from a startup? Mm. And then lastly, as the fourth of the eight examples, is the retirement achiever. So people are getting ready to sell. Well, I sold my business. I know, I know a lot about uh, what it takes. I know what sellers are interested in and what buyers are interested in. And, you know, how you improve uh, your revenue, how do you improve your profit uh, over the next couple of years in order to get yourself to a point where you can get top dollar when it comes time to actually put your business uh, on the market and sell it. And so it always relates to accelerating revenue and improving and protecting profit. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are different, you know, contexts and interests that contractors have, and I tailor my coaching to meet those interests. So you'll come out for an initial consultation, uh, perhaps spend some time in somebody's business and then take a step out and, and do m- the majority of your ongoing coaching via phone and email? Well, you would be surprised, first of all, if you knew what I charge because it is, I mean, you, it is affordable to a <laughs> T. So, you know, my guys just love that because it really does not cost a lot. Sure. And part of that is I don't make on-site visits. I don't need to. Everything that we do, we can do by telephone, uh, internet and email, and desktop sharing. I mean, I'll get on the computer with them and share a desktop and get into Zactimate and get into their estimates. And we go through review and I show them these special features and I show them how to use Zactimate as a key management tool. And it can all be done, you know, right from my office and from theirs. Uh, We'll talk two, three times a week about issues they face, and uh, we will coach for a full year of intensive help um, in whatever their issue is. And it might be both revenue and profit. Sure. And uh, help them make the changes they need and uh, solidify those changes so that when the year of coaching is over, I mean, they know what they're doing and how to do it, and they can maintain it. I like to hear that because that's that's pretty much what I do with my Xactimate estimating businesses. Uh, people don't understand that I don't have to be on site to write a good sheet. Yes. Uh, I get all my estimates uh, and scopes and pictures via a shared drive, whether it's Dropbox or Google Drive, and uh, and I write my estimates from there. And a lot of times I interface with directly with exact analysis uh, and upload assignments on behalf of my client contractors. And I don't leave the... Yeah, the beauty of my office. I'm sitting here right here, you know, in Bend, Oregon. So, yeah, it's a lot with technology. There's a lot we can do remotely and uh, still provide top-notch services and coaching. Yeah, and let me not miss this opportunity to to say this. You know, I know you, Andy, and I know you know the claims clinic and the claims delegates, and I know you firsthand because I recommend you to my client contractors. And I appreciate that. Thank you. When they're moving into full service, I mean, one of the biggest issues is how do you do a takeoff and how do you get an estimate written? And some of yep. them at that point don't have the money to go out and hire a full-time estimator. So what do I do? Well, you know that I send them to you. Uh-huh. You have a systematic approach for a takeoff, so you teach them how to do it. 
you write the estimate for them. Your fees are just wonderful. It really works. You're prompt, you're comprehensive, and there are, you know, outsourcing, um, you know, services that are available for some of these key issues that a person might face as they're moving into construction, and you're one of them. And as you know, I and my client contractors, a handful of them are using you right now, and uh, we're happy with the service that you provide. Oh, thank you so much. I, that's, uh, it's, a, it's an honor to help your clients, and uh, yeah, thanks. I can't thank you too much for that. It's uh, well deserved. I'm blushing. I'm blushing here. Okay, uh, let's let's go on to. Uh, I've got the PLR show coming up. I'm giving a a uh, a breakout session over two days on uh, what I'm calling mitigation Moneyball, and uh, hoping to show folks uh, how to how to gamify mitigation uh, to increase this frontline revenue that we we've been talking about. And uh, this will be the second show I'm going to this year. The first one was RIA, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm conflicted when it comes to shows, um, as far as the return on time and investment uh, for folks going to shows. And I wondered what your take was. Uh, there's I mean I don't know. There's a, is there 50 different opportunities to go to you know, different shows every year that have to do with restoration. Um, yeah, should people go to shows, the Contractor Connection Convention, the Insights, the, all this other stuff, uh, are there ones that they should go to that that are better than others, uh, or should people just stay home and concentrate on their business? As a business owner, uh, I went to two shows a year, Contractor Connection and RIA. Okay. And the reason that I went is to look for resources that would help me do my business. I have written a blog about perhaps the single most life-changing moment that I experienced as a restoration owner, and it came as a result of a, uh, a workshop uh, that was um, presented at Contractor Connection. Ah. And it was, you know, I write about it, and it's on my website, but it was just the lights came on, and I made some decisions as a result of that, And what contractors don't have, they don't have it locally, they don't look for it nationally or regionally, is somebody who can help them with the issues they face. So they just keep doing the same thing they've been doing, uh, and they don't know what to do, so they don't do anything. They just do what comes naturally to them. And that's why you end up with a 21% profit, you know, O&P, because you haven't found ways to bring about change. So finding resource people, whether they're coaches or through other materials, you've got to find help to do a better job because running a business doesn't come intuitively to 95% of the people. And so you need help. I've written a a blog about uh, coaching makes him better. And I'm referring to Peyton Manning, who, you know, with all of his skill and all the wonderful uh, this MVP is in the National Football League, you know, he just goes on record all the time that says, coaching makes me better. Well, if it makes Peyton Manning better on an ongoing basis, I'm sure it would help any contractor because sometimes all you need is just a couple of insights, you know, a couple of changes. Uh, I was talking with a contractor um, who'd been in the business for 10 years doing $3 million of of work, full service, and uh, we were doing a desktop share and I was showing him some things in Zactimate where suddenly he just started to roar with laughter. He was just belly laughing. And when he finally got control of himself and started to explain his behavior, he said, I've been doing this for 10 years and I have never seen that before. Wow. And now that I see it, I know exactly what to do with that. And that's going to make a huge difference in my business. Well, what's the value of a single insight? Oh, yeah. So go to these, uh, you know, pick and choose one or two um, and those that are going to give you the best access to resources dealing with the subjects that are of greatest interest and value to you, and um, make yourself available, form a relationship with the uh, speaker, continue to talk with them thereafter. Most are willing to give away a ton of stuff for free yep. you know, yep. in conversation because we love this. We all love this. This is why we do it. We love talking about this stuff. Yep. So find somebody to give you some help. And if it's a process that needs to occur over time, get a coach. Let them help you. Uh, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I yeah, I've got a I've got a couple 
accountability groups that I'm a part of, uh, and and I'm looking at coaching, personal coaching. Uh, so yes. there's just yeah, there's a lot to that, and and uh, it it takes a it takes a realization that you don't have all the answers, and that's okay. It is. That's right. We don't. Yeah. Well, Jack, it's been a pleasure. How can people find you uh, and reach out to you and, and learn more about you? Well, my website is growmyrestorationbusiness.com, or you can search uh, for the Restoration Entrepreneur. Perfect. And I am always available, always interested. I, I you know, free 30-minute consultation, anybody, anytime, any subject. I uh, <laughs> love talking about this stuff, and I'm always available. And if um, it looks like I can be of greater help over a longer haul, then we can talk about coaching, but we don't even need to do that. I'll just help as I can. You got an 800 number we can use? It is 800-655-1598. Perfect. Any uh, parting shots out there to newbies to the industry? Don't be afraid. Mm. Um, This is an industry of great opportunity. Of course, for a new person, the first year is the most uh, dynamic, the most dramatic. And so if you're going to start a restoration business, do it as a full service. Um, uh, just, just another number because I, I love these comparative numbers. So if a new person, uh, new company starts off and they do one mitigation a job, uh, I'm sorry, one mitigation job a week sure. for a year, that's $130,000. If they do full service and do the rebuild as well, it's $630,000. So if you want traction, even if you did half of that, I mean, you can live off of $300,000 in a year startup. You can subcontract all your work. So, you know, don't be afraid. There's a lot of opportunity out there. You just need to know how. And once you know how, it's not difficult to do. So, you know, you can grow your business. Uh, you can grow your business and there are people out there who will help you do that. Awesome. Jack, thanks once again. I'm looking forward to seeing how we both grow over the coming years and uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for allowing me. I really appreciate it and I enjoy you. Yeah, I know that was a long one. Hope you got a lot out of that. Hey, uh, just a little reminder, send a tweet over to The Claim Doctor. Let me know what you thought of the show. I'd really appreciate it. Also, don't miss out on all the free goodies we give out all the time. Go over to theclaim.clinic, get signed up for the newsletter, and we'll send it right out to you. Take care, y'all.